So let's walk through the the first scenario where you give me uh, the age of a person, you give me the gender of a person and the zip four. You've never met me, but you give me that information. I will go back and pull data that turns around and says, here's the demographics of where he lives or she. Here's what the income levels, the debt levels, the expense levels, the types of crime that happens in that area. Yeah. Maybe it's the types of special things. Maybe he lives in a, or she lives in a place where it's, you know, the average house is $2.8 million. Well, that says a lot. Yeah. I can tell you whether they're likely to buy Mercedes or BMWs or Buicks or whether they're likely to have pets or cats versus dogs. So all of this information gives you the insights that you've never had before. So now you have a way to think about how you should speak to this person. So imagine being able to send a communication out to them first time to meet a prospect. Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast powered by Arrowroot Family Office that's at the intersection of accounting, wealth management, behavioral finance, technology, and entrepreneurship. We help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice by going beyond the numbers as we learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to discover the secret to their success. A podcast that highlights everything from the transformative power of AI to embracing the human-first approach of behavioral finance to help you understand the psychological and emotional relationships to money and meaning. Here is your host, Rory Henry, director at Arrowroot Family Office and author of Holistic Guide to Wealth Management. All right. Hello, everyone. I have an awesome guest joining me today. I am super excited to have this interview in this world of AI and machine learning. We have a guest here that's harnessing that power, and I am looking forward to finding out uh, about all this data and what he's doing with his data, how we could better advise our clients. He is a financial services veteran. He's been in the financial services game for over three decades, I believe. He is now the founder and CEO of Intergen Data, which is a platform that uses AI and machine learning to predict 93 events related to health and wealth. He's empowering advisors to effectively plan for their clients' financial health care and insurance needs. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest, my friend Robert Kirk. Robert, how are we doing today? I'm doing awesome, Rory. Thank you for the time. And and that's a great introduction. I should have captured that to make sure I have that going forward. <laughs> well, I've joked about it on the podcast before. If you could walk into a room and have somebody do that type of introduction, <laughs> right? It would be great. You would just lift your spirits up. <laughs> I need that and some music. I got to find some music behind the background. Yeah, it's like your wrestling entrance, right? <laughs> exactly. What would and your Rory... song, what would your song be? Your wrestling song, Robert, if you're coming out? Do you have a Oh, favorite song. <laughs> oh, I got it depends on the genre. It could be <laughs> Christian, it could be thrash metal, it could be uh, no country, no country. I apologize. I'm not a country, country fan people. either. No, no. <laughs> Hopefully, but, we uh, don't lose any country audience. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I do appreciate it, right? No, but it's right. just the uh, to me, it was always you know the Van Halen coming in. That was what I grew up with when I. I yeah. played guitar, had the long hair and everything. I don't anymore, but yeah, that was then. <laughs> 80s Robert just rocking out to Van Halen in the, gar <laughs> the garage band. I love it. <laughs> All awesome. right, let's get started here. Before we take a dive into the data, I know we had a talk and I am fascinated by 
the the work that you're doing, Robert. Can you give our audience a little bit of background on yourself and and what led you to this role uh, at Energen Data? Yeah, thank you for that. So after being in, yes, over three decades, I'll just <laughs> say it that way, yeah, three decades in the industry, I, I like to say I've been the cook, the bottle washer, the chef, the maitre d' and the parking lot <laughs> attendant. Uh, I ran a book of business, was fortunate enough to move into asset management technology. So the trading technology back in the mid nineties where individuals at home had better software than the institutions like the Fidelities and the big companies on Wall Street. And that's where I really cut my teeth and then spent probably half my life in clearance and settlement. All that to say, I understand how the sausage is made. It's not pretty, yeah. but as long as is the account and the information is there, your money is there, the 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 equities, the bonds, the options, whatever you purchase is there. Yeah. That's the key. Um I would further that by saying that while I was uh, fortunate to be chief information officer of a top 40 BD, I was uh, hit and my family was hit with a life event. And mm. very basically what happened was we had to move my grandfather to go live out the rest of his days, but he got, he got Alzheimer's. We had to move him uh. into a long-term care facility. And unfortunately uh, we weren't prepared now emotionally, yeah. Physically, no one is ever prepared, prepared for something like that. But legally, we weren't prepared. We didn't have the trust set up mm. in time. Um, financially, we weren't ready for fourteen thousand four hundred a month. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing <laughs> cost. But more importantly, four years, almost seven hundred thousand wow. dollars. And I sat there as as someone in the industry building. Yeah, you were actually doing this. <laughs> I'm doing well. I said I was, but then I looked back and I yeah. said I couldn't help my own family. Yeah. So in reality, was I doing anything? Well, of course, yes. But right. I realized that there's a gap. And that's when I said, well, why didn't we know? Why didn't we think? Why didn't we do? Why didn't we act? And it came down to two real, two real points that stuck with me. One, nobody likes to talk about this stuff. So yeah. Rory, if you're my advisor and you turn to me and said, hey, Rob, can you tell me when you plan to have your, your, your spouse get cancer? Mm. no. Can you tell me when you, you plan to have your mom have a heart attack and go into that? No. Right. Or vice versa. If I said, Oh, by the way, you know, one of my uh, parents just had this happen and it was a bad event. You would say, Oh, I'm sorry to hear. And you want to walk yeah. away from the conversation, but in reality, you need to lean in and that wasn't yeah. being done. And then the other part was there was no data to help advisors. So it left it up to the advisor to go figure out, health costs and, you know, costs to put people in homes or take care of people or how much college costs or all these things. And I'm sorry that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be the doctor. You shouldn't be the healthcare person and the financial advisor altogether as one. Are you an accountant looking to generate more revenue and secure your future success as automation and artificial intelligence revolutionize the accounting profession? If so, contact us at AFO Wealth Management Forward. We specialize in helping accountants and advisors just like you build a custom brand to pinpoint your optimal clientele, generate highly qualified leads through our data-driven digital marketing, and execute wealth management growth services to bring more value to your firm and your client's life. 
Our strategic approach to branding, marketing, and wealth management is carefully tailored to attract ideal clients, increase customer retention rates, and cultivate lasting relationships with clients across generations. Visit wealthmanagementforward.com to book your free consultation to find out how you can elevate your practice. Yeah, I mean, we, we get so comfortable with numbers, but though and, and having those tough conversations when those events happen, we just a lot of times aren't trained on that. I just recently had on Dr. Emily Kuchel from eMoney, who's the head of financial wellness, and she says the stats show that having those difficult conversations around death and, and divorce is something that advisors many times obviously have difficulty doing. So let's go into how... I guess we're jumping ahead here, how we can frame the conversation using data. Actually, let's do this. Can we give our audience a little bit of foundation here on the data you're collecting, the sources of that data? What are the sheer numbers that we're looking at, Robert? Can you give our audience basically a a foundational explanation of, of the platform? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, that means that I, I I failed the first part of this interview, which was to tell a little <laughs> bit about me and the company. So yeah. Rob Kirk, founder, CEO of Energy Data, as Rory <laughs> just stated, let's start there. So we are a company that predicts life events. Yeah. We predict when the most important things are likely to happen to your employees or your customers. We use AI to harness all the power of all the different models and all the algorithms. And we have our own proprietary algorithms that uses de-identified data Mm -hmm. to go out and surface when these events typically happen. Two major categories, health and wealth. So from a wealth perspective, think when you get married, who you get married to, when you have births, how many marriages, how many children per each marriage, which of course means how many divorces. When you're likely to buy your cars and homes, those are health or wealth related. On the healthcare side, these are things like 27 types of cancer, 22 types of heart issues, brain issues like Alzheimer's, dementia. And the data that we we sell is what the event or events are, when, by year, and then how much of a financial impact. Uh, now, to do this, this is where I'm going to answer your question. Mm-hmm. It basically means that we have to collect data on all the demographics. So all the 338 million people in the US, mm-hmm. where they live, what they do. And that's broken down by age and race and gender and education and job type or types of companies you work for. And then it also includes financial data. So we have data that would talk about how much people invest, people who are like you, how much they invest, they save, their expenses. We have data on every commercial and residential property in the US. Mm. We have data on that would be, for example, in IRS data. And we don't have the individual information. So Rory, I wouldn't be able to tell you, here's right. your zip code, or I mean, excuse me, here's your social security number, here's your financial account number. No. But we have it at a rudimentary level that says on the zip four, meaning we can get as close to as 10 neighbors. So think of your house, but think Mm -hmm. of your 10 closest neighbors. And then I can tell you things like their adjusted gross income, tax loss carry forwards, alimony payments, expenses, how much you put away in savings and investments and debt, all of that together. So in aggregate, it's about 15 billion rows of data. Oh, wow. And we have history that goes back, well, some of the data goes back to the 1700s. We mm-hmm. don't need to use that, but some yeah. of the data goes back, you know, 20 years is typically what we use. 
Yeah. And I was listening to another one of your podcasts and you talked about the data that you have on highest income years. Can you talk to our audience about that? Because I think that gives a, a good profile of how you can break things down based on geography and, and education. Yeah. So it's a good example. One of my first questions when we were searching the data, the answers, which is when does somebody make the most amount of money in their life? Mm -hmm. And we looked at the data and we put it all in and let the computer come back and say, out of the 320 million people at that time, here's how many people make the most amount of money in their peak earnings. It came back with two answers. And we said, well, wait a minute. I asked for one answer. Why two? Well, it was statistically significant. And what that meant was 80% of this country makes the most amount of money in their life at an age of 47. And I went, okay, mm -hmm. that's interesting. How much money is that? And I think it was roughly $57,000, something around mm -hmm. there. I can go back and get the details. But then I said, what's the 20%? What number is that? And they said, oh, that age is 51. And I went, okay, that's four years difference. Well, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. And it was $160,000. And I went, oh, that's a major jump. Yeah. And I said, now I can understand. But wait, Why? So what we did is we started to look back in the data and we said, let's go back in history. Let's go not at 51. Let's keep going back and keep going back. And what we realized was, oh, wait a minute. Somebody delayed their earnings and went to college, went and got an extra mm. degree by four years. Yeah. Wow. That's the difference. And then we said, well, okay, well, education. So let's, can we break it down by education? Yes. Can we break it down by the type of education, whether it's a PhD, a doctorate, whether it's a BA, a BS, whatever it is. Yes, again. Well, that's interesting. Well, what else did we find that was similar? Based on the type of degree also told us where they were likely to live. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. What are you talking about here? I got to see this. So what we yeah. realized was if you came out and you were a doctor, you were going to become a physician. You had certain types of study, which meant that you went to certain schools which meant that you probably lived in certain places and the places that had the most amount of money, the most income happened to be around places where they took transportation to work that were by trains, mm. by subways, by ferries. And all of a sudden it clicked and I went, wait, that's New York city. That's Chicago. That's San Fran. That's all mm -hmm. the major cities. Of course you have the most populous. You have the most people you can make more money in those cities. Now it doesn't mean you're not a specialty surgeon, like maybe for your hands or broken bones or certain things, but it also meant that that's where more people were, where we could, it would support that type of income. And we just kept breaking it down. Well, can I break it down by age or race yeah. or gender? And the answer was yes, yes, and yes. So that started how we were looking at not only the vision of where this goes, but also how we could help people understand people like you who have this education, who have this type of income, who have this type of debt, here's where you can go. And well, that was perfect because now a financial advisor could use that information yeah. to help us. And that's what we thought was really, really awesome about what we did. Yeah. And that's obviously on the wealth side. I'd be interested to, to have a use case or looking at the health side. I know when we talked earlier, Robert, <laughs> you talked about the, the lifespan or the longevity based on the number of marriages you had and the number of yeah. kids you had. I think this is a good example for our audience as well. So can you talk about that, the health aspect um, of this as well? 
Yeah. So let, let's go for that little levity piece first, right? So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the, the data, when we started to look at it, we started to see pockets of expenses going back in time. People would spend money at, at the age of 27, 29, 31, 33, 35, and they'd be different size expenses. We'd say, well, what is that? What is that for? And then we realized, oh, children, children in cars, mm -hmm. cars mm -hmm. and homes. And then all of a sudden it got to an age where in the mid forties, you started to see healthcare expenses, but not just for you, but it could be also for parents, but it could be also for your children because you would have the children they get at the age where right. they're in their, their teens, they're younger and they tend to get hurt a little bit more. So we started looking at this and then we started seeing information and this is where the levity comes in. We started seeing <laughs> some stuff about, you know, divorce rates and when they would spend more money or when the money would have. And then all of a sudden they go into a different scenario. So um, I like to say jokingly, but it's true that if you were, if a man wanted to reduce the number of years he lived on this planet, he would actually get married three times before he's 51. Remember mm. 51 from a previous number that we just had. Yeah. Because we were looking at correlations and similarities. We said, why is 51 interesting? Hmm. 51's when you make the most amount of, most money, amount of money in life. Yeah. But it's also when you get divorced and you're like, well, why is that? Go back 18 years. They stayed together for the children. Hmm. Oh, and then they got back and they said, okay, our children are out of the house. And then they would go hmm. now, right. but going back to the point, if they wanted to reduce the number of years they live on this planet, then basically men would typically get married three times before they're 51 and have children with two marriages. And hmm. on average, they could reduce the amount of years they live by 9.4 years. Wow. Imagine the stress, imagine the problems, imagine the financials. Well, it's not a great statistic and right. we can say ha ha now, but, but think about this. The amount of stress you have leads to your health, leads to mm -hmm. your declining health, leads to diabetes or alcoholism or multiple things that you try to do to cope. And then depending on who you are, where you live and what you do, you can start to see things where, wait a minute, genetically, I have a predisposition for something, yeah. but now with these other factors, the socioeconomic factors, it multiplies, multiplies that effect. It. I'm likely to get sicker faster. I'm likely to be more unhealthy quicker. And then all of a sudden you start to see that deterioration where, okay, now this is likely to happen. So we use genetic biomarkers to kind yeah. of tell us what people likely have. And I tell people all the time, you know, I'm native American Indian. Mm -hmm. I have a higher propensity for type two diabetes. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. It just yeah. means it's more prevalent. My wife who's Korean, higher propensity for cancer. Mm -hmm. Okay. We need to consider that, but wait, I've got two children, two daughters. They're a mix of both of us. One is probably genetically more like me and the other more like my wife. So now I start to think, Ooh, how do I look at this from an insurance or a health perspective? What should I tell my children about me? Maybe yeah. I need to eat less sugar. Maybe I need to do certain things and the same thing for, for my wife. So hopefully that helps answer your question, but it's, it, it does a lot. Yeah. And I have so many more questions, Robert. <laughs> I've had so many of the behavioral financial uh, thought leaders in the podcast. And one of the common themes is we'd rather talk about sex than money. But my question to you would be is having these difficult conversations 
around health illnesses is something that we're probably not equipped uh, well for either. So can you talk about maybe ways that advisors can can broach this subject with clients if they do indeed have this data or using something like Intergen and are having the likelihood of diabetes increased and having that conversation within the family to obviously enlighten people on on making maybe better decisions and moving forward in the future. So I love that question. And let's start with the first thing that you should never do. (laughs) You should never say, hey, I just ran your data through this system. We think you're going to die in 11.4 years. (laughs) die of cancer and right. you're going to die broke. Yeah. Talk about, it's like uh, web WebMD on steroids, right? <laughs> That's not cool. Come on. Yeah. Right. Or same, similarly, don't go out on Facebook, see that somebody had, Hey, can you pray? My father just got cancer. You don't pick up the phone and call the dude. Hey, sorry, your dad's got cancer. Let's talk yeah, about critical insurance, right? right? No. What we want to do is we want to be approached. You have to build trust with me. If I'm a prospect, you definitely have to build trust. If I'm a current customer, then I need to hear empathy from you. And that's the one thing that Mm. computer cannot do. It's zero empathy. It's a zero or one period, right? So what you need to do is think of it this way. If Rory, you were coming to me, you would say, Hey, Rob, did you know that people like you at your life stage tend to go through these three things? You probably have a child in college. You're thinking about being an empty nester in the next few years. Mm -hmm. You're thinking of a couple of marriages. And I'm like, you know what? I am. That's exactly it. And then you would say, by the way, you might have a parent that might have a critical illness. Has that ever concerned you? Well, yeah, it does. Because yeah, my parents have been, they actually just came back from the doctors the other day. Now you have the data that behind that tells you this is very likely to be happening, whether in probability and prevalence. So if somebody said yeah. to you, you got an 88% chance that this is going to happen, you might want to call somebody. It's almost like that check it, red, that red check yeah. engine light. When it mm-hmm. pops on, do something right. about do it. Do something about it. Right. And that's kind of the way we say is you got to be relatable. You got to be human. Yeah. I always that's why I love behavioral finance uh, and talking to clients using that human first approach, being empathetic. So one thing I say that AI can't do is be that human to talk to another human who has shared human experiences. That's our differentiator here in the future. We can utilize tools like intergen data that you put out there, uh, Robert, but it's really how we can communicate with people to be that empathetic you know, reassuring voice and to help them maybe through trying times. But I'm fascinated by the, obviously the the explosion of AI here in, in the last couple of years. Are you now able to analyze so much more data, so much more effectively? And you have to have enough of it to understand. Now, If I came to you and you said, hey, Rob, I want to try and be your financial planner and we have this great tool, whatever the tool is, whatever the risk system is, whatever the asset allocation tool or whatever your theory on investing. But if I came to you with 300 questions filled out, here's my age, my income, my race, my gender, Mm -hmm. my children, their incomes, their levels, their debt, my debt how much I own on every single thing of my property, what's the total net worth of all my illiquid and liquid and all my insurance and all the terms and the adages. If I gave you everything, you'd create the most 
powerful financial plan you could ever. And you would be like, dude, you're the best (laughs) one, right? The other side to that would be, there is a difference between not answering and giving you full authority. So one going to the behavioral side. Yeah. People don't like to tell you how much debt they have. People don't like to give you how much income they make and go figure people lie. Right. So what happens is they lie because they're not trying to be nefarious and, and skirt around what you're trying to do. What they're saying to themselves is I'm embarrassed. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. I don't, um, let's say I'm 55 years old and I make $28,000. I'm embarrassed that I've got a hundred grand in debt. I'm embarrassed that my friends can take trips around the world and I can't rub two sticks together or I just sold my second car and we're down to one in the family. That's a, that's a deeply emotional attachment thing. Now, if you look at it from a data perspective, I have all the car purchases. I have all the housing, all the residential, all the commercial properties. I have the values. I have the understanding of the taxes, of the debt, of what it costs to live in your area. So the way I look at it is why bother asking them when you could, our data can help serve that up to you instantly. Just mm-hmm. tell me their age. Tell me their zip four. If you want, yeah. tell me the gender, those three minimum things. Now, the more data I get, the more accurate I can be. So as a native American Indian, just me saying that, does that tell you when I'm going to die? No. Yeah. But if I said, oh, by the way, my maternal grandmother had this, my paternal grandfather had that, my parents have this, well, now I can start to associate the probabilities of disease based on the prevalence of who I am. Mm-hmm. I add the stress level. So the more data you get, the more accurate you can get. Where that leads to is eventually empowering the advisor to know I can hyper tailor, in other words, data drive mm-hmm. a plan, a health plan, a fitness plan, uh, any type of plan to a person because I know who they are. So yeah. the act, the more data we get, the more accurate we get. And we can get to the point. No one's ever going to be perfect. Right. But you got to start. And that's kind of the key. Does that yeah. help? Yeah. I mean, that's that hyper-personalization. And I think we talked about it uh, on our other call. We're getting to a point, especially if when we eventually can incorporate the social media aspects, we have that profile of that person and that hyper-personalization can occur. And then we can guide people uh, in better directions. Is that what we're leading to here in the future or in the near future? Yeah, I would say we're going to we're, we're broaching the subject now from a marketing perspective. Yeah. I can tailor messages to persona. In fact, there's tools, AI tools out there now today that you plug in your website. It automatically reads your website and says, this is the product and service you sell. And here's who you sell it to. You click the next button and it says, let me create a blog. Let me create a LinkedIn post. Let me create a marketing campaign. And then you can automatically put that out to your social media. That's today. This isn't future. This is today. I don't, I don't buy images from Shutterstock or these larger companies anymore because I can just type text into a, a little chat bot and yeah. my image comes out. And I know no one else in the world has that image. So yeah. now I can do this all by typing. So now imagine being able to tailor each message. You come in and it's, here's, here's a message for me. Here's a message for my wife. Here's a message for each child. 
you can tailor your specific messages to everybody, show them what represents them and speak to them in their own language. That's amazing. And we can do that today. So 2027, in my opinion, is a key time frame. I think that's where we need to head towards is everything that we're doing will start to really be impactful in a major way. And you're going to start to see it really erupt between now and then. Yeah, well, why 2027, Robert? <laughs> so <laughs> so let's let's look at uh, demographics overall in, in, in the country. Yeah. We have the largest group of of baby boomers that are about to become 65 yeah. and fully retire. And that occurs in 2030. The reason why I say 2027 is because between now today and 2027, you need to have all your AI systems implemented. In you need to have your processes changed in place to capture that Mm. large transference of wealth. So yeah. liquid assets, it's 30, 30 trillion, trillion, trillion right? something like there. But if you add the illiquid assets, those, so the real estate, yeah. the businesses, the insurance, now you're talking 105 trillion. It's massive change. And if you're not marketing to these people before then, then you're not top of mind and you want to yeah. be top of mind. So you want to have your systems hardened and tested so that you're running full speed by 2027 to capture that wave. Yeah. We've referenced the McKinsey study a, a number of times, a 2030 study that says we're eventually just be, going to become <laughs> life and wealth planners. That's yeah. what I talk about in our program, integrating the tax, the accounting, the estate planning, uh, the wealth and the insurance. As you know, you, you, you've been part of that world, uh, Robert. So you know, I think that advisor of the future can harness and use tools, the AI tools, to then provide that wealth, health, and, and that life advice. Yeah, you become a, you really become a life concierge, a life coach. Yeah, because it's it it is your taxes, and at certain times of your life, when you're 20, it's less about taxes, yeah. it's less about insurance. But there's a time when it needs to become more insurance, or it needs to become how do you set up the legacy plan? How do you set up yeah. your estate plan? Again, I'm going to go back to my grandfather, right? So Alzheimer's, you need to have your trust set up five years before you put them into a long-term care facility. How do I know that date? We missed it. <laughs> yeah. But what you should what should you tell everybody who has parents over 60? You need to set up your trust now. Trust. Yep. So I mean, this is something you and I can talk and and discuss easily, but the computer can help you generate that across millions of customers and you don't have to do the work. Let the machine do what the machine is good at, which is process numbers and process information so that the advisor can use it. They can be empowered and to do it in a way that makes more sense and makes it easy for them. Yeah. Now, how are you using this platform? Because I know you work with advisors or advisors use this. Uh, I know you work with institutions as well. Can you talk about how they're utilizing the platform uh, in the work they do? Yeah. So it's really interesting. The predictions that we use can go into multiple areas. So some use it for marketing. Yeah. Some use it for risk enhancement. Mm. Some use it for onboarding. Some use it for cross-sell upsell. So let's walk through the, the first scenario where you give me uh, the age of a person 
you give me the gender of a person and the zip for. You've never met me, but you give me that information, I will go back and pull data that turns around and says, here's the demographics of where he lives or she. Here's what the income levels, the debt levels, the expense levels, the types of crime that happens in that area. Yeah. Maybe it's the types of special things. Maybe he lives in a, or she lives in a place where it's, you know, the average house is $2.8 million. Well, that says a lot. Yeah. I can tell you whether they're likely to buy Mercedes or BMWs or Buicks or whether they're likely to have pets or cats versus dogs. So all of this information gives you the insights that you've never had before. So now you have a way to think about how you should speak to this person. So imagine being able to send a communication out to them first time to meet a prospect yeah. and you kind of know me. Well, that's kind of cool. Right. Versus the credit card offer that I got in the mail today from the credit card company that I've had for the past 30 years telling me that, oh, I can get X number of miles on my airline. I'm like, yeah. dude, I've been with you for 30 years. You want me to downgrade for 60,000 miles? No, I'm not going to do it. Right? So all kidding aside though, but that's the thing is they don't know me. They say personalization, but in reality, I believe what they mean is we know how you want to receive information, not the yeah. information you want to receive. It's their view of you and they just throw it, but you're a number. So that same calculation, which tells me that information could be used to help onboard somebody faster. So imagine when you go to onboard them where they don't have to go and fill out all the questions, your income, your debt, your expenses, where it's already pre-populated because of the information they have. And now the client just says, oh, I don't have a house. I paid it all down. I don't have a motorcycle. I do have a boat. You got that. Okay. That's mm -hmm. about right. Keep that number the same. Now that onboarding becomes faster. Now let's go to the next stage. That next stage could be, hey, he lives in an area where, guess what? He's not making as much money. It looks like he's living over his means because he's a client. He's got you know, $100,000 in income, and he's living in a place where the average house is $3 million. I think he's living above his means. He's in the lowest mm -hmm. percentile. He's probably under some financial stress. So trying to hit me up for insurance might not be the best thing, but wait a minute. How much do you owe on his mortgage? So the top five reasons for default on mortgage and credit card, life events. Mm. You lose your job, you get divorced, you have a spouse that gets a critical illness, you get a critical illness, right? So all of a sudden these events take cash out of your, yeah. out of your piggy bank. Well, that could set you apart where boom, this is problematic now. And if I'm living on the edge, yeah, you probably want to save more faster, right? So there goes the risk piece. And then on the cross-sell upsell, think of it as, hey, everybody like you that we've helped in the past. So you would look to, to me and you'd say, hey, Rob, we've helped people like you with a daughter who's a freshman in college and a kid, another daughter who's, you know, a sophomore. The next stage of your life is like this, where they're both yeah. in college and one's about to get out. Here's how we've helped other people just like you. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, not only does he know where I'm at, he knows where I'm going. Yeah. Well, that's a Sherpa. That's a concierge. Yeah. That's yeah. an advisor. Yeah. That's the power. That's So those types of situations are how it's the same prediction from us. It's the same data sets, but we use them in different ways. If Hopefully that helps. Yeah. I mean, this fascinating stuff. Is there, getting into this business here, Robert. Is there one thing that has 
really shocked you uh, uh, as far as what you obviously the data and, and what you've learned? Is there anything that really, really stood out to you? Hmm. I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. <laughs> I will answer it in a couple of ways and then you can yell at me later or have your audience come and yell at me openly online. So number one, I think there's a belief that most of the people don't want to know when this happens. Hmm. I don't want to know if I'm likely to get cancer. I don't want to know if I'm likely to die. I don't want to know this. That's too negative. And I think what shocked me was that it was the businesses and I'm not going to name names, but the companies themselves that were like, Oh, we can't, we can't do that. We don't want to, we don't want to know this data. We don't know how we'd provide it or sell it to the advisors so they would use it. And I sat there and I said, but your advisors are saying they're having a tough time getting new accounts. They're having a tough time yeah. keeping accounts. Shouldn't you try to give them data to help them? And they're like, yeah, but we don't know how we should, what would we say? How would we promote this? And I said, well, wouldn't you want to know? Mm. And the people who were in, who I was speaking to was like, oh, we don't want to know. We don't want to know. And I'm like, but you're in the business of providing advice to help people through hard times and good times, but prepare for the worst so for they can the live comfortably and they can give money to their children and their children's children. Because if you don't want to do that, then why are you in this business? Yeah. That was probably the most shocking from corporate perspective. Yeah. From an individual perspective, I think it's a, I think it goes into thirds, a third of the people free willing, ready, want to see this data. Cause they want to know. Yeah. A third of the people absolutely hate it. Don't want to see it. They'd rather just say, Rory, you're my advisor. You take care of it. And then a third of people are on the fence and they don't know mm. where they lie. They're not sure if they do it. They're not sure if they don't, but I think they just need to be coached, which is why I'm glad people like yourself or other people are yeah. out there to help because the data is there. They just need to be coached and they need to be, they need to think openly about, Hey, my parents are at this point. Everyone's going to go through this. doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. we all know the two things you can definitely say are going to happen in life are death and taxes. Death and taxes. Right. Well, yeah. I want to have enough to live and live on and give. How do I do that? I need your help. Help me. Yeah. You think this will become more normalized as we start, communicating this data and it's obviously ai is allowing us to <laughs> to have greater probabilities of, the, of these things happening or you think it's just we haven't had these conversations because we haven't had the data at our disposal Ooh, it's because we didn't have our data at the disposal yeah that's number one so we're, it's shocking for most yes. people so again i'm not going to name names i've gone to large companies and i've said can I have this data? And they said, yeah, we'd like to give it to you, but we don't have it. You're an insurance company. How do you not yeah. have this data? Well, we have it, but it's in this portion of the company and we'd have to get special permission to get this data out of this system to then give it to you here. And I was like, okay, so does that mean you're going to do it or not going to do it? Right? Yeah. Now go back before that. I started this company in 2014. In essence, I didn't incorporate until December 15th or 13th of 
2017. Mm-hmm. But I was searching for this data and I had a hard time finding it. I was scouring PDFs, scouring the internet. I paid a bunch of people money to just go find the data. Yeah. And it was a horrible existence. But only after about 2016, 2017, did the data start becoming more accessible. And then more data providers started going into various pieces. But what I think really kickstarted this or turbocharged everything was COVID. Yeah. Because everyone realized we're not invincible. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, what do you mean a week in the hospital costs $76,000? Yeah. What? What do you mean I can't go back to work? Yeah. What do you mean? So all of a sudden, everyone realized that one, and this is one major life event that happened across everyone Russell, in the entire world, yeah. right? They all realized that we're not going to live forever. Yeah. Right. So now we've got to figure out how do we adjust for that? What do we do? What and we that's do? the beautiful part because that's where we are now. The data is now becoming more available. More governments are offering the data. More companies are offering the data. And what we've done is we've been fortunate because we were there in the beginning. So we're we're really kind of on the cusp of of the top of the wave showing people, here's here's what you can do. The art of the possible. Yeah, the art of the possible. But today. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, Robert, this has been fascinating. Uh, I've absolutely loved this conversation. Is there anything that you want to touch on that we haven't talked about? I think the biggest thing is, is it, if you were the person that needed this advice, yeah. if I look to you and let's say your kids were out of college, your kids, and you had two kids that were three years apart and you're at that next stage of life past me, mm-hmm. me as a person, I go, Hey man, help me out. When your kids got out of college, what did you do? What, what did you, did you do? think of? You're going to tell me, oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. This was a horrible thing to do. Don't do this. Do this, right? You'd give me that advice because it's experience. And I would say, yeah. man, what wisdom. Rory's top notch. Yeah. Because you went through all that pain. Yeah. Now I need to do something with that. Yeah. That's where we sit today with AI. That's where yeah. we sit with the explosion of data. Right. There's wisdom in the masses. Wisdom. Yes. And so I think if we, if we, all needed to think of one thing, it would be what data is important to me and my customers? How can I help them? That's all. Yeah. Because other people have been through your similar circumstances and we're not alone. We're not alone. Yeah. All right, Robert, let's end it there. I appreciate you coming on. If anybody wants to get in touch with you or learn more about Intergendano, what's the best way to do so? Best way is to email me at uh, rob at intergendata.com. Or I'm bold. I put my cell phone out there. Just call me 917-680-8702. Just know that I also have a robo killer. So it will try to make sure you're not spam just in advance, but feel free to to reach out at any time. I love it. I love it. All righty. Thank you so much for coming on. I guess cue the Van Halen music now. (laughs) There you go. I should have taken out my guitar and started playing. That's what I should have done. (laughs) Cool, buddy. Appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Rory. Take care now. All right. Robert, <laughs> is there anything that shocked you, you know, with all this data? So the one that's thing creepy. Did, you know way too much. I do. I know way too much. So one, the creepiness is a huge factor. It's like, wow, you can understand my financials. You could actually fill out a mortgage application right now. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. The other side to that is not only is it creepy, but I think shocking to me was I'm kind of average. <laughs> I realized it most of my life. I kind of do the same things everyone else like me. Everyone has else done. Does. Yay. You're not that special. I know they told you when you're a kid, you're very special, Rob, but you're just average. I'm, I'm shooting for middle management, baby. Middle management. <laughs> I love it. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Root Family Office LLC or their parent company or affiliates, and they have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.